Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, good morning. Today is July 2, like what uh, Ben said. And, and today I want to talk to you about, uh, go ahead and put a title up. Talk to you about faith in times of difficulties. I'm sorry. Let me introduce myself first. I always forget to introduce myself. My name is Armon. I am one of the leaders of the church, uh, just in case you don't know who I am. And uh, on behalf of Pastor Mark and Terry, welcome to Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. They are currently ministering in the Philippines. Um, they should be back by next week, all right? So that's who I am. And today I want to share with you uh, a, a word which I've entitled Faith in Times of Difficulties. And this really came about because uh, of what had happened or what was going on in the church about two months ago. And can you just go ahead and pull up the first verse? In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus uh, told his disciple this. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Other translations say trials and troubles. And uh, back in April, the church was going through some, uh, at least a couple of the people in the church, in the congregation, were going through some troublesome times. Some were hospitalized, some were sick, I mean, serious sickness. Some of our family member uh, uh, were sick, hospitalized. Some have uh, lost loved ones. And it was just back in April. And this verse really tells it all that when Jesus was talking to his disciples, the statement that he was really saying is, nobody is immune to tribulation. Because we are living in this world, this world you will have trouble. So there really is nobody who is immune to troubles, to trials, no matter how you call it. I call it difficulties, troublesome times. Nobody is immune. Amen? So that went on in April, and I've asked one of the persons that actually went through that uh, experience to just be able to share and really share what God had, uh, had or did in his situation and what happened to tell the whole story, and, and, and I want you guys to hear it personally from him. So can I call Stephen up on the stage? So he's going to be sharing his testimony, and uh, I'll allow him. We got a lot of time, bro. Okay. Um, good morning. My name is Stephen. I know you can hear me. So let me read my testimony. Um, like what Arman mentioned uh, a couple months ago, to be exact, that's April 1st. I remember it was Friday when I woke up that morning. I said, oh, well, how come I have, I'm seeing double vision. Everything that I, when I look at everywhere, it's double. I said, probably this is only stress. So still, I went to work while my eyes, uh, my left eye is closed. I just drive because it, it looks straight. Then when I get tired, I close my right, uh, left eye, uh, right eye, then still straight. But after 30 minutes at work, I said, I told my boss, I need to go home because I think this is getting worse. And the, next, and the next day, I decided to go to the clinic 
and I was ordered by the doctor to go to the another clinic to have an MRI to scan my my brain. They said uh, there's something wrong in you because when I ask you to close your eyes and stand, you cannot just stand straight. You're all over the place. So I need you right away to go over there, and and I prayed, Lord, I don't know who's gonna drop me over there. Then help me. Then El bro, Elmore texted me, bro, how are you, bro? I need you to drop me at the, this clinic. Then after that one, Brother James dropped me back to th that clinic. And he told, the doctor told me, based on the, the scan, it said, uh, probably it's just a minor uh, problem. I think there's a inflame in your sinus. So that's it. So you have to go, just drink Sudafed and under uh, antibiotic. Then come back after three days. Then when I come back after three days, Jerry and Benny helped me to go to that clinic, and the doctor said, I think that this is serious, because I don't know, I, I told you everything that I know, and I don't, I don't know what's happening to you. You have to fly out right now, tonight, uh, go to the Philippines, and go straight to St. Luke. And uh, I, asked my, I asked Jerry to call my boss and tell everything, because uh, you know, all of a sudden I'll be gone. So... But my boss told me that we need to have a second opinion. You need to go right away at GMRC. So after that one, really, you know, uh, that night I, I prayed, Lord, what's, what's this happening to me? There's, there's really, really something wrong. Uh, whenever I, I just bend a little, my knee like this, I'm going to fall down. Then I'm going to climb up to my computer chair just to push, you know, to, just to go to another place in my place because my place is so small. But still, like I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on the wall just to go to the restroom and everything just by myself because I'm, I'm by myself right here. Then we went straight to the, you know, to the emergency room and I'm, you know, still thinking, Lord, what's, what's this? Am I having heart attack or stroke or anything? But... He said, uh, never mind, just, you know, just sit down, calm down. And the nurse from the emergency room told me, okay, just sit down on the bedside. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I'm, I'm trying to be tough. So I sit down on the bed. And I, I remember I'm just reaching out something on the, on the ground. Then all of a sudden, I find myself on the ground, lying down there. And so that's, uh, but the emergency doctor saw my situation and checks all for some vitals, he suspects that my case is somehow familiar, but he needs to consult a neurodoctor because it might be a Guillain-Barr syndrome. That's a big word for me. Or something else. And they need to do a lumbar puncture, and that's a big word for me also. They need to check the liquid in my spine. In my mind, I'm already praying, let it be negative for any others, from any other sickness. The doctors from the emergency room told me, oh, uh, I got your initial result, and, that, and it said that it's good. That's the initial result. But we need to wait for the neurodoctor on the next day. Finally, I'm admitted 3 a.m. in the hospital, GMRC. That morning, neurodoctor visited me. I remember Efren was there. He is a, he is a substitute uh, to look after me. The doctor has a checklist regarding my symptoms. I have double vision. My arms or legs are coming to paralysis, so I cannot move anything anymore. And my grip, my hand grip, 
and they checked my lungs, and they told me the symptoms fall on into Miller Fisher syndrome. So for us to be have, uh, familiar with the Fisher syndrome is that one. It's a rare acquired disease that considered to be variant of Guillain-Barr syndrome. It is characterized by abnormal muscle coordination, paralysis of the eye muscles, and absence of tendon reflex. The doctor told me that my antibodies become disoriented. It started attacking my muscle tissue, my muscle tissue. That's why I felt I'm getting weak every hour. My hand grip started to become weak. I can even turn the doorknob. My legs are shaking. When I try to stand, my hands started to have their own mind because my left hand is doing the, you know, I, I told everybody that this one's doing three-fourth and I'm, this one's doing four-fourth. So really, <laughs> and the doctor told me it's much better if I stay. They have all the medicine, the facilities to ad administer the IVG, the, the medicine that I need to take because they are afraid what will happen from the hospital to the airport, from the airport to the, uh, from here to the Philippines, from the Philippines to the hospital. So there will be a time or something might happen to me or worse because I cannot move and I'm by myself. Nobody will gonna, uh, help me to go over there. Some details I already forgot, but what I remember that night, I'm so scared. I'm all by myself. What if something happens to me? How will they know if I'm still okay? They, all, they will only check probably after three days because I'm upset at work, so nobody going to check. Who will take care of me? My wife and my kids are all in the Philippines. Even my parents, I'm just all by myself at my place. I remember I prayed and, and knocked the heaven's door, asking for miracle right away, even declaring what Jesus did on the cross. By his stripes, I am healed. And recalling all the miracles that he did, made the blind man see, lame walk, heal all diseases. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know already I accepted Christ, but I'm going to accept him again. Probably... <laughs> I saved more than once <laughs> that night. <laughs> but, and, um, and still declaring that God, in, but still, I declare that God, in the end, his name will be glorified. How he heals me and will continue to give praise and thanksgiving. I even come to the point what the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said. I just paraphrase it. He will deliver me even if not. I will still thank him for his goodness and everything that he has given me. But still, I ask and plead God, please not yet. What about my wife and kids? I know you will take care of them, but I've been away from, <clears throat> from them. I haven't spent time with them. And our prayer and my prayer that someday we will all in one place giving you praise. Upon hearing and learning all about my situation, the prayer brigade kicks off. My wife started texting everyone in the Philippines, my family and church family over there, even here, my friends and church friends and spiritual family. While I'm at the hospital, I feel his presence and reminding 
And I know God is reminding me to be strong. And I, I'm really eager to be up and running. And there's a TV over there. So while I'm watching Christian, Christian preaching and listening to Christian music, it feels like that everything that's been said and sung there is for me. So the first time I received a call from my wife and my kids, the moment they say, hello, I cried. That's it. No more, no more talk. That's it. I, I just cry and cry and cry. I've, I felt God's love using my wife and kids, my boss, my spiritual families here, my co-workers, and I know God is telling me I'm not alone. He will never leave me nor forsake me. I, was, I always have a morning call or text from my younger daughter asking me, how am I? Did I eat already? What about exercise? How far I walk? She always checking on me morning, afternoon, and nighttime. And even just a while ago, she texted already me, how am I? <laughs> but there's always a dull moment that this is creeping in whenever I look at the internet, what is Miller Fisher? I'm comparing what I have and how come it's not the same with them. Am I being, diag am I, am I being misdiagnosed? All, all those lies being bombarded in my mind. Then my first follow-up from the neuro after a month, I was told that my case is interesting. Oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> so he said for me to be considered a MS, MFS patient, I have to be 80 to 95% of antibodies. This is the first time I'm glad I failed the percentage. I still have the tingling in my arms and legs, but still doing some exercise every day, every morning. And, you know, Brother Efren's always there checking on me, helping me up for my follow-up. And then I noticed that my left part of, the left part of my face is getting weaker. I cannot even close my eyes. When I mentioned it to the doctor, it might be, he said, it's a Bell's palsy. So that's, uh, just check him that's why he requested another MRI with contrast. Now, the second follow-up, an MRI with contrast, uh, I think that's last, last week, uh, um, the neurodoctor, Justin Hale, he showed me the images when, where he can say, if there's a traces of bleeding in my brain, even before, if there's a multiple scoliosis or even stroke, he said, everything is normal. Whoa, praise God. Now, I'm, a, I'm here in front of you, enjoying the goodness of God. I remember whenever, you know, um, what I got from here, I remember whenever we hear some miracles from other people, experiencing like the stories about some x-ray, when they first got x-ray, there's a tumor, and the following x-ray, it's gone. We're rejoicing with them. But when you, but you're, when you're the one who received and experienced the miracles, it's all awesome. No one can take it away from you. And also I learned that when God heals, it's not the same how he heals others. I do not need to compare. It really discouraged me whenever others heal so fast and why me so slow and always coming back. Because the more I look into my problems, my sickness, I'm magnifying and telling it to myself, I am weak. I started to you know, pity myself. But praise God, because always, he always reminds me about this verse. 
and 2 Corinthians 4.18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That doesn't mean you pretend there's no sickness or anything. It's just we focus more on God than or on what we have. And this verse also that casting all my cares, all anxiety, all your worries, and all your concern once and for all on him, for he cares about you. There. And praise God what he has done in my family and my wife. Um, my, my wife is a volunteer in, at the Victory Christian Kalamba. Uh, as an as assistant admin, my son is in the tech ministry. My two daughters are in the kids ministry. Praise God, and I hope you encourage whatever you are facing now that we have a mighty and awesome God we serve. And the Acheta family would like to stand our heartfelt gratitude and thanks to the Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship for all the help, support, and prayers at this unexpected episode in my life from Miller Fisher Syndrome. Indeed, we are truly blessed and loved. And please continue to cover us, our family, in your prayer. God is in control more than what science says. Again, thank you very much. Thank you, bro. Thank you, Stephen. Just in case you didn't catch what he was saying, Timing and severity was very essential because the doctor said, get out of, Ma go fly to Manila now. But then the GRMC doctor said, what could happen from here to the airport, the three hour trip from Guam to Manila, then back to St. Luke's? You have, a, you have a disease where you're being paralyzed from the up, from, the, from his eyes down to his neck, and that's why they were monitoring his breathing because he could have easily get his lungs paralyzed and it would have basically killed him. That was the severity and that was the timing that was so essential in his case. And if you didn't, so I'm just uh, uh, reiterating just so that you can see what he went through. And when we visited uh, Stephen in the hospital, he was really, uh, had his, he had this uh, patched on one eye and we were kind of joking around, bro, do you see me on the left or the right? So, because he was having double vision, but man, look at him now. I mean, even the, I, I was just so amazed when he texted, when he said, bro, the doctor said everything is normal. It's so like nothing happened. It's like it was just an excuse. But yeah, when, but, but when he was sent to the emergency room, it was Jerry and it was Benny who took him there. And that guy literally was a vegetable. He really couldn't move his hand. And, the, and that's what he was saying. So amen, praise God. <laughs> testimonies like that should not I mean we cannot miss testimonies like that it's what's the point of us praying every Sunday what's the point of us coming to prayer meeting and praying for people then when we get a chance to really witness a miracle and how God is so amazing in, in, in people's life we don't even hear about it so that's why I took this opportunity to let Stephen share his own testimony thank you brother but as you can see, you, probably, uh, you can probably identify with him in the emotions that went through him. You can, you can almost sense it was a circus. He went through so much emotion. He, he felt so alone. He, he had some doubts. Lord, am I really saved? Do I need to be re-saved again? Do I need to make another decision? And that's really, 
and I think at, and in the times of difficulties, we can identify with that. We, we go through doubts, we go through uncertainty. Sometimes we even question why God. And that was, uh, that's what you were saying earlier, uh, Brother Ben, correct? We begin to ask the question, uh, why? But what's interesting is in the book of James, that's not really how we were encouraged to approach trials. Go ahead. In James, it tells us this is how we should approach trials. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word perfect there really is about maturity. So this is what the Bible encourages us to do when we're facing various trials. And if I were probably to ask a show of hand, which I'm not asking, uh, don't raise your hand. If you're going to trials, who among you are really, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm so, I'm so full of joy that I'm going through hardship. Nobody really. <laughs> I, I have not seen one. But yet in the book of Acts, the early days of the church, the apostles were like that. They consider it an honor whenever they were persecuted. They consider it an honor when they were grabbed and beaten and then jailed and then kicked out of the jail and back to what they were doing. It was so honoring for them. They felt the joy. So if we're not there yet, then I, so what I want to do today is I want to offer you two perspectives. And, and somehow I hope it helps you to, to get into place where, can you imagine me? I went to the hospital and I saw Stephen. Bro, I'm so encouraged. I'm so jealous. You're going to these trials. No, that's not how I felt. I went there and I, and I was like, uh, I, I looked at him and I was like, bro, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I really didn't know what to say. I mean, I can encourage him, bro, God, God is working behind the scene, Yes. But uh, to, be, uh, to, to have joy, we're not there yet. And if we're not there yet, that means God is still working in us. Amen? Amen. That means we're all being worked upon. Amen? So I'm not alone, am I? Okay, we're good. So I want to offer you two perspectives. When times of difficulty, uh, difficulty comes, I want you to see it in this way. Okay? So first perspective. See it in a revelation. Okay, I'll explain. A uh, few, uh, few months ago, we had a series on the Ten Commandments. Pastor Mark talked about the Sabbath. And, it, and I got something that was so amazing. In the, something familiar to all of us is the account of the creation, how God created uh, the earth in five, or God created the environment in five days. Why five? He created the moon, the stars, the universe, the earth. Then from earth, he created vegetations, the mountains, the ocean, then the animals. All of that happened in five days. I'm just uh, I'm making a shortcut here. On the sixth day, what did God do? He created man. He created Adam. And then he told Adam, uh, tend the garden. Take dominion over the animals of the air, the animals of the sea, the animals of the land. That was the job that God gave Adam. That was the sixth day. And then the seventh day, what did God do? He took a Sabbath. He went to church. No, he didn't go to church. He took a Sabbath. He took a day of rest. So what does that tell us? This is coming from Pastor Mark. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was so amazing. The first day of man after he was being created was not to go to work, but rather to fellowship with his maker. That is the heart of your father. It's always been the heart of God 
it, and it shows it in the days of creation. He said, let's go pop some, let's go pop the grill, Adam. Let's go with Joshua. We'll go get some gr uh, grill going. Let's go, uh, let's go get some fermented grapes, okay? If, 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 probably that's how God uh, did it, right? <laughs> probably that's not a sanctified illustration, okay? We can erase that. <laughs> but anyway, but this is what God did. He fellowshiped with Adam on the first day uh, after creating Adam. The first thing that God did was to have fellowship with Adam. It tells us that's what God has always been wanting with man, to fellowship with man. And then the Bible tells us uh, even further that <clears throat> even before we were knitted in our mother's womb, God already knew us. There's verses that says we were predestined for good work. So even before we were knitted, we were, our pre-beginning is known by God. Our beginning is known by God. In Acts, it says that the times and the places where you should live are ordained, are ordained by God. The time that you're, you're here, the places that where you will live is known by God. It's ordained by God. The day that you will uh, uh, fall asleep and go with your maker is known by God. All of that is known by God. You are fully known by God. Not only does God want a fellowship with you, but you are fully known by God. In, in the New Testament, it tells us that even the numbers of our hair is known by God. Or the lack of numbers of our hair. Or the ones that are falling off is known by God. Right, Alfred, uh, Elmer? Yeah. Every single detail of our life is known by God. But on the other hand, we do not fully know God. And it says in the Bible, if man is left to himself, no man will seek for God. It says that in the book of Romans. It's also written in the book of Psalms. If man is left to himself, man will not go looking around for God. That's why it's always God. It's always been the Lord that initiates the seeking after you. So how is this tied to Revelation? The circumstances that happens in our life... God takes it as an opportunity to reveal himself to you so that you can get him, you can get to know him more. Let me repeat that. The times of circumstances, the times of difficulties, the times of trials and troubles that you have in your life, God takes that as an opportunity to reveal himself to you or to us so that we can get to know him more. He knows us fully, but we don't really know him fully. Genesis chapter 17 here, let me show you a, a verse. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, it says here, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. The story of Abram began in Genesis chapter 12. It says there that he was 75 years old when he left Haran to go to the land that God is calling him. The promise was given to Abraham that you will be a father of many nations. Out of you, Abraham, nations will come out. But here it says that he is now 99 years old. It's been 24 years since the day that God promised him anything. You think that's long? Probably long enough, not yet. Now, why did God wait 24 years to tell Abraham that I am almighty God? Why wait 24 years? Why did not he just say it on the first day? Abram, I am almighty God. Why wait 24 years? 
the promise was given to him that you will be a father. And for 24 years, Abraham has been thinking about it. There's a time between this, uh, between this chapter where Abraham thought and told God, God, I do not have an heir. My servant, Eliezer of Damascus, will become the heir of everything that I possess. And God said, no, he will not be the one. Between these passages, he also said, my, I, if only my son Ishmael, which is from Hagar, an Egyptian bondwoman, could become the heir. He said, and God said, no, he will not be the heir. It would come out of you, out of Sarah, and his name shall be Isaac. So why now? Why only now did God say, I am almighty God? See, in that 24-year span of their relationship, Abraham had witnessed God do mighty things in his life. He's been rescued twice from two kings, one from Egypt, the Pharaoh, and then another one, I, I believe it was Abimelech uh, of, of Gerar. I might be wrong on that one. I can go back later on. I mean, he witnessed how God mightily moved through Sodom and Gomorrah. He saw God move so mightily when he went to rescue Lot against five kings with his 300-some armies or 300-people army. He has seen God move mightily. But God said after 24 years, Abram, I know you know me as El Gibor, as a mighty God. But I am not just a mighty God. I am also an El Shaddai. Did you hear that? Abram knew God to be a mighty God. And where did I get El Gibor? El Gibor is where you get Isaiah, where he said mighty God. Abraham knew that. He's done mighty things for him. But it wasn't until here where God said, I am almighty God, Abraham. I can bring forth life out of your own dead body. That's what God was uh, showing Abraham. But yet it took him 24 years. So church revelation, 24 years Abraham has been waiting. 24 years he had his own doubts also, just like Stephen and just like most of us. Amen? And, and in that circumstances, God took it as an opportunity to show that, Abraham, I am El Shaddai. I am Almighty God. So church, in your times of difficulty, I, pre- I offer you a perspective that look for the revelations of God. God is always wanting to reveal himself to us. I have my own personal testimonies of how I found, I found revelations of who the Father is in the most troubling times. Uh, some of them I feel like I was uh, hit in the back of my head and saying, this is who I am. But so church, when it's, so, when it's difficult, and yes, it's, it, and there would be troubling times. It's already, uh, uh, we, we saw it in the book of John. So in those times, God will use that. It's also, it's a pattern of God, just in case you're wondering, but this is just one account. In the death of Lazarus, Jesus did the same thing. It says in the book of John that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But he waited for two days after Lazarus died to come, or really four days. What's interesting is that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, but he let Lazarus die. So when Martha came to Jesus, he said, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus said, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. So God uses circumstances in our lives so that it, it's, it's for him, it's an opportunity because he's got all your attention now. Now I'm going to tell you who I am. And, and I believe Stephen got a couple of uh, revelations uh, himself. Amen? 
So in times of doubt, and you feel like you're all alone, remember, God is always willing, or God is always looking to reveal himself to you so that you can get to know him more. He longs for it, church. He longs for him to be known by us. But just like what I said, but if left to our own, we probably never see God. The second perspective that I want to offer is this to you. He is a proud father. This one might be a little extreme, so uh, I'll, I'll get to the verses in a little while. But anyway, before I get to the verses, how many of you have been following the NBA draft? NBA draft. Yeah, mostly the guys, right? Who was the number two pick? Ball, I just heard it. Lamar Ball was the number two pick, he, uh, overall pick out of the college. He was taken by the Los Angeles Lakers. His father's name is Lamar Ball, correct? Not Lamar Odom, but Lamar Ball. Lamar Ball went on ESPN and told the entire <laughs> sports world that my son, Lonzo Ball, is better than Stephen Carey. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know if you guys can relate. Stephen Carey is the two-time most valuable player of the NBA. Stephen Carey just had his second championship with the Golden State Warrior. He has broken how many records when it comes to the three-point line. Here is one father who said, his son was just picked by the Los Angeles Lakers to play for next season. He hasn't played the NBA yet. Not yet. He hasn't played against any uh, NBA player. But this father, Lamar, said, my, my son Lamar, or my son Lonzo, is better than Stephen Carey. What kind of scrutiny do you think uh, Lonzo is going to get? Yeah. I remember Tony Kukoc, Tony Kukoc, you guys remember Tony Kukoc? Yeah, I think more people remember Tony Kukoc. During the 92 Olympic Games in Barcelona, oh, I saw somebody uh, visiting, sorry, <laughs> I got distracted there. Uh, Tony Kukoc was from Croatia. When Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen heard that the management of Chicago Bulls is going to get Tony Kukoc to join them. You know what these two guys did? In the, Barcelona, in the USA against Croatia game, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen systematically shut him down, proved him wrong, as in proved the guy wrong, that you, you're no match for us. You, you, what's all of this? And the guy didn't even say anything. <laughs> the guy didn't even make any statement. So can you imagine what Lonzo Ball is going to go through? This, uh, I mean, they're going to pick him. They're going to, every time they come and play against the Los Angeles Lakers, it's going to be an interesting game. I encourage you to watch it. No. Okay, let's go back to church stuff. But, but, but what my point is this. Of all the, I mean, opinions came out. I mean, what a ludicrous uh, statement. Uh, St St Stephen A. Smith was just going all over the place. But it was, uh, he said, it, what a ludicrous statement to say that. Your son is unproven. He hasn't stepped into the NBA court. But one, of, well, one positive thing that came out of that, um, of what happened was this. Somebody made this opinion. You know what? Every... Father in America should feel that way about their son. That their son is the best. 
that their son can beat anybody. And most parents are like that. I mean, Brother Ben here is, is racing up the next Stephen Curry. Watch out for Nathaniel, right? Watch out for Nathaniel. He's going to be the next Stephen Curry of Guam. But that's, what, but that's the thing. Fathers are always proud of their kids. And that's one positive thing that came out of that, that every father in America should feel that way. They should be so proud of their children. I mean, his intention might be wrong to uh, get a publicity because publicity is a publicity regardless of whether it's a good publicity or a bad publicity. He will get it. So how is this tied to God? I have heard so many believers say that when they're going to difficulties, they are going through a Job experience. And I would not even imagine what Job go through. So let's go, uh, to, uh, go ahead and uh, pull up the... This is Job. Let me introduce you to Job. If you haven't found your way to uh, Job, by the way, he's not related to Steve Job. Okay? He's, uh, he, uh, Job is a star of a man who lost everything. Lost everything. Lost all he possessed. Lost his family. Lost his health. And began to question God and ask why, why, why. That's, that's uh, Job in, uh, in a summary. But this is who he is in Job chapter 1 verse 3. There was a man in the land of uh, us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He was a good man. He's a believer. And... And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. The man was rich, filthy rich. This guy is a God-fearing man, uh, blameless, upright, God-feared, shunned evil. And he's filthy rich. He's considered to be one of the greatest... uh, People of the East. That's who he is. And that's why I think we always have this question, why God? God, did I, did I not follow you? Did I hear, heard it wrong when, I, when you told me to, 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 to do this? Then why is this happening to me? Job went through the same thing. So, but how, and most can identify, most identify trying times with the Job experience. But what I've never heard is but uh, how it all started. Nobody really, under, nobody really had an answer. Why, why, did, why did it all happen for Job? In verse 8, this is uh, what happened. In verse 7, it says this, that uh, the sons of man, the angels of God, and also Satan came before God. And God, it was the Lord who initiated the conversation. God asked Satan, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been through and pro, I've been back and forth to the earth. That's what I've been doing. I've been looking around for somebody to devour. I guess that's where they got the burst from. Oh, okay. So God said, and then God said this. This is God initiating the conversation, okay? Then God, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Swallow that for a while or chew on that for a while. Have you considered? Have you regarded? Have you examined? That's what considered means. Have you seen him? Have you closely examined my, my servant Job? 
This is just like Lamar Ball saying, my son Lonzo, if, we were, if he was to switch with Stephen Curry, UCLA would not win the championship. That's what uh, Lamar Ball was saying. This is exactly what God was saying. Have you seen a proud father saying, have you seen my servant Job? And church, that's what I want. Uh, it might be a little extreme perspective to see, but it was God who initiated the conversation. It was God who said to, the, to Satan, my boy, Job, he is blameless. He is upright. He shuns evil. That's what God was telling Satan. And then what, what did Satan do? Well, because you're protecting him. Because you have a hedge of protection around him. And that's when Job's trouble began. God gave Satan all the power to touch everything that Job ever had. His possessions were lost. His family was lost. His health was lost. But by the end, it was restored, okay? Just in case you feel like uh, it's a downer. No. When everything was said and done, Job acknowledged the sovereignty of God in his life, and God restored everything. Not just restored, but he had much more and much better things at the end. And perhaps you haven't seen Job this way. Perhaps you've always considered that whenever you, going, whenever you go to trying times and hard times, you only see the pain. And St- Stephen kind of touched a little bit on that. You see the pain. You see the trouble. We see what's going on in our lives. But we never even considered that God could be so proud of us that he would feed us to the wolves. I hope that's not how God is. And he's not like that. Okay? But that's what a father is. He's so proud. I mean, I'm still thinking of Lamar Ball. What kind of game will Lonzo play against the Golden State Warrior? I want to watch that. I hope it's on December 25. <laughs> but church, do you see it? Is it such an ex- I, I, I think it, for some of you, it's an extreme perspective to see that God is so proud of Job that he would actually initiate a conversation and say this. See, in the New Testament, it says that if your earthly father know how to give good gifts, what more is your earthly father? If you have an earthly father who is so proud of you, what do you think more of your heavenly father? I began by saying that God longs to fellowship with us. God longs to be known by us. Now I'm telling you, God is a proud father up in heaven. And probably his methods may not or we may not agree with his methods sometimes, but he's still God, and that's why the, the lesson, one of the lessons in Job is that God is sovereign over our own lives. The good news about this, though, is everything was restored to Job. Amen? So I offer you those two perspectives, that when you're facing difficulties, when you're going through times of difficulties and you want to quit, You want to stop. You just want to throw in the white flag. Consider this. God is always looking for an opportunity to reveal himself to you in that time of hard hard times. And God is always proud of you. Some of the things that's going on in our lives could have been because God was so proud of us. Sometimes I think that way now. And now when I go to hard times, the first question that I always ask God is, Lord, 
What do you want me to see? (laughs) I've learned how to cut to the chase. Lord, what do you want me to see? I'll cry now. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to, and yes, I literally do cry to God. There were times that I would cry to God, especially pain. Pain, my wife can attest to this. Pain just throws you off the whole day. Uh, I I went through my own crying times when I'm in pain. Amen? I had one more to say. Come back. I began, uh, we we began with James, or I, I mentioned earlier James. Can you bring back James chapter one? Two, three. It says here, count it all joy. So if you're not counting it all joy, I hope that perspectives help you to just even to see that your heavenly father is longing to be known by you, that he is proud of you. And so don't give up, okay? The testing is only a means to an end. It says that it produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. Why? Unto a purpose, so that we can be complete, lacking nothing, mature, perfect. Imagine this, and I want to end with this. I don't have, uh, imagine if you are the only son of a billionaire. That's why we can say imagine. <laughs> can imagine. Imagination is free. It's free to imagine. Let's all imagine. Okay? You're the only son or you're the only daughter of a multi-billionaire. He has his uh, mansions, he has his building, he has his yachts, his private airplanes. He had a garage full of exotic cars. For the girls, probably a uh, closet full of shoes. I don't know what girls uh, are into. Jewelries. Okay, for me, it's cars. Imagine he had a garage full of the most exotic of exotic cars. Lamborghinis, Ferrari, Maserati. You name it, it's there. But you're only a two-year-old boy. Technically, you're a son, correct? But until you reach legal age, you cannot drive a single car that's on that garage. Isn't that correct? There are so many things I believe that God has for us, so many inheritance, so many things that he has prepared for us. But because we haven't reached a level of maturity, a level of, what was that? Perfect, complete, maturity, We are technically a son of God, but we cannot drive our Lamborghinis because we haven't reached that place of maturity. And that's why I I believe James said this. Don't give up. There's so many gifts that God wants for you. There's so many inheritance that God wants for you. But because you are still a two-year-old, legally, you cannot drive your Lamborghini. Does that make sense? You cannot take out your Porsche. You cannot take out your Ferraris yet. You got to come to a, uh, a, until you're 18 years old or until you're mature, so to speak, then you can take out your car. Then you can take all of that out. But, te- but technically, you are a son of a billionaire. It's just that you can't drive it out yet. Amen? So don't give up, church. Don't give up in, t- in times of trouble. Don't give up on times of difficulties. It's easy to say, but just like uh, Stephen testified, it's a hard place to be. So I hope when that time comes, you would always look forward, <laughs> you would always look forward <laughs> to see God in, the, in that time of circumstances and always remember that God wants to fellowship with you. God wants himself to be known to you and that God is proud of you. Amen? Let's close.
Hallelujah. Are you blessed, church? Yeah, go ahead. Give, give our Father a clap. Father, thank you. Let's just go ahead and close. It's already time. Father, thank you. Father, thank you for what a wonderful testimony that Stephen have shared. And Lord, I pray that when we personally go to these times, I just pray, Father, that we would always remember that you are a good father. As we sang, you are a proud father. You're one who's looking to fellowship with us. You're one who's looking to show yourself to us. And Father, I just pray for us today. If you're going through some difficulties, I just want to pray for you, regardless of what it is, finances. I recently just lost my mother in April also. She had a stroke, and a few weeks later, she passed away. And it was sad. Sad, but it was peaceful. It was something so new to me to just even uh, to even pray to God, and really, it was such a different prayer. So, uh, so really, I was really one of those examples that I was saying earlier. So, if you're going through some um, difficulties, in fact, no, let's just do it this way. We're going to dismiss you, but if you, if our prayer ministers or our leaders will just make themselves available in the front, just make, just come up and ask for prayer. Just come up and let them pray for you. Okay? It's always much. There's much more person. Uh, uh, I guess it's just better when it's a person-to-person prayer. So I'll just go ahead and dismiss and, and, and allow the prayer ministers to come up and line themselves up. And if you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer, if you're going through tough times, just approach one of our prayer ministers. Amen. Just go ahead and dismiss. Father, thank you for today. Father, I pray that you blessed our congregation. Father, you know the steps that we take. And I pray for safety. I pray, Father, that you would direct it. You would govern it, Father. And Lord, I thank you, O oh God, that you are always looking after us. So Lord, bless our week, bless our holiday. Lord, may we just have a great and wonderful time, not only with friends, but also with you as we take our time to fellowship with you. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.